0: Good morning again, Gateway family. It is good to see you. First of all, happy Mother's Day. So to our mothers out there, happy Mother's Day to you. We are thankful for you and your investment in your children's lives. And for all of us, we're grateful for the way our moms have invested in us so that we are who we are today. And so I want to say that. Second, I want to just give another word of congratulations to the graduates, to the girls who've graduated. We are thankful for all of you and just your life being here at Gateway for these years. And we're grateful and send you with our blessings to the chapter that the Lord has for you next and look forward to seeing what God's going to do in you and through you and ask you to please keep in touch with us in this next season of life. And then as well, I want to just say a special greeting to Alan Cross, former pastor. He's back. Alan, welcome back. The Lord has given this church over the years, godly guys, three godly guys who've led this church before me. And so Alan was our previous uh, senior pastor before I came and thankful for him. We had the blessing because just about a month or two ago, Gary Sanders, who was a pastor before Alan was here, and so the Lord has sent back to us two of our former pastors to get to worship alongside us. So welcome, Alan, and your family. We are grateful to have you guys here with us this morning. Well, friends, we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of John this morning. As I was looking at today, this is our 15th sermon in the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 5 this morning, if you want to start turning there. So, we are going slowly through the Gospel of John, and I hope it is food for your soul. And this, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, I want us to remind us this morning again of what we do periodically, and that's why did John write this book? What is the goal? What's the big picture? Why are we even studying it? And John tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, and so we'll put that up on the screen because this is why this book was written, and you see it there, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I want you to say that with me out loud. Can y'all do that with me? Let's say it together. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm gonna give you a heads up in just a few weeks we're gonna try to say it together without it on the screen, okay? So maybe want to try to read ahead. After last week when our third and fourth grade boys recited, boys and girls recited for us all of Romans twelve by memory, I think we as the adults can get this down in a few weeks, right? So, what have we seen so far as we see this, what John's trying to do for us? We've seen so far John the Apostle, who wrote this in John the Baptist, telling us that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Word, He's the Creator, He's the Light, He's the Lamb of God. We've seen, we've seen Jesus call His disciples, His disciples follow and be changed. We've seen three miracles so far that John has recorded for us the changing of the water to wine, the healing of the official son, and last week, the healing of the lame man by the pool. And all these are signs. The point of the miracles is to point us to who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. We've seen Jesus take some drastic actions of cleansing the temple. We see him drawing the Samaritan woman at the well. And all these things he's telling people to follow him. Why is all this there? It's all showing us that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's also showing us things that only God could do. And yet in this, it's also showing us that belief changes us. Not everyone who we've seen encounter Christ so far has believed, but those who have believed have been changed. And that's going to be important for this morning because we'll see those themes again. Today, as we get into John chapter 5, we come to what's called a discourse. A discourse is a lengthy conversation. Here is a lengthy conversation Jesus has with some of the Jewish leaders on this. In fact, it's a pretty long discourse. We're going to take two weeks over this one. Now, it's an easy one when we're studying it to kind of skim over real quickly because it doesn't have in it the stuff we typically get drawn to, like, I am the bread of life, and these images that we get really kind of, our minds get um, captured by with this. But what Jesus lays out for us here in John 5 is probably his most systematic statement in the whole gospel of John, of who he is and what he came to do. It is rich, friends, it's, it's complicated, it's rich, it's, it's written in, like, rabbinic, rabbi's thoughts and how the rabbi would argue things, so... It can be a little bit harder to get through for us, but it's a systematic statement of who Jesus is and what he came to do, and it's full of stunning statements, statements that will incite the anger of the Jews, but statements that should take root in our heart and lead us to awe and lead us to worship of who he is. We're going to start this morning in verse 18, but before we do, where, do, where did we pick in last week? Because this is just a continuation. We saw last week that Jesus had gone to a feast up at the temple. We don't know which celebration it was. It doesn't tell us it doesn't, that doesn't really matter. But what's important is it was on the Sabbath. So Jesus, on the Sabbath, is going to the feast, and while going through there, he intentionally goes through a place. It was a pool where many invalids lay, and he sees this sea of invalids laying around this pool, and he picks one and he heals him on the Sabbath. We saw, because of doing that, the Jewish leaders got really angry because he healed on the Sabbath. They did not rejoice at what Jesus had done, but they instead got angry about it. And so Jesus responds to them, and he told them, he said, "'My Father is working, and I am working.'" He's basically saying, my father works all the time and I'm working on the Sabbath as well here. And it makes him even more angry because he's claiming to be God. And they get really ticked off about that. And so now Jesus has a chance to address them again. So if you have a group of people who are persecuting you, who are angry at you, what are you going to say? That's what we come to this morning in John chapter 5, starting verse 18. Now, as I read this text for us, I want you to be listening for two things, okay? First of all, as we go through the passage this morning, what has Jesus come to do? So be listening for that as we're going through, what has Jesus come to do? There's two things that he specifically lays out in this text of what he's come to do. We'll look at, so what has Jesus come to do? But secondly, how does he have the authority to do that? What right does Jesus have to do these things that you'll see in our text for this morning? So as we come to John chapter 5, verse 18, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? What a treasure we have in having God's written Word to us right here that we might know and believe. John chapter 5, starting in verse 18, I'm reading out of the ESV translation. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing.' And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Verse 20, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man." Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. Father, I pray that we would never approach it lightly. Father, what a treasure we have in having your very words of life given to us. And I pray we would see it as such, treasure it as such, and obey it as such. Give me grace this morning as we tackle a more difficult text to explain it clearly, and I pray you'd open our hearts and minds to hear what you have each one of us here. Holy Spirit, come, open our eyes to the truth of this text, and make application to our lives as you see fit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So there, usually I give you one truth, one principle from the passage, and we'll give you two today, so we're going to mix it up a little. There's two things I want us to see. So we'll start with the first one, and this one is about who Jesus is. And so the first thing I want you to see this morning is that God the Father has given Jesus the authority to do two things, to impart life and to judge. God the Father has given to Jesus, to God the Son, the authority, the right to impart life and to judge. Now, before we see him imparting life and judging, we have to get to the foundation of what's going on here, and that's verses 19 and 20 of our text. So again, the, Jews, the Jewish leaders are angry at Jesus. They've already said that he's basically blaspheming, so they're mad, and so here's his response. Go back to verse 19. So Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So basically, the Jewish leaders are upset that Jesus has basically claimed equality with God. So he doesn't tell them, oh, don't think of it that way. Rather, he's like, basically, that's right, and I'm going to tell you even more now. Listen to this. Because he starts off with a truly, truly, this double amen, this I want to get your... Attention, if what they thought he said in verse 17, my father is working till now and I am working, if they thought that was scandalous, just wait till this is what he's about to say right here. This is even more scandalous to them of what he said. And what he says to them here in verse 19 is, I, the son, can do nothing of my own. I can only do what I see my father doing. Well, different people have tried to explain this with different images over the years. And some have tried to say, well, this is perhaps like what Jesus had growing up in a carpenter shop with Joseph. Imagine Joseph the carpenter, he go cut down a tree, so Jesus the son watches and cuts down a tree also, like trades are learned. He watches his father, you begin to cut the log, and so he cuts the log. He watches the father saw, and he saws, and you sand it down, and he sands down, and starts to nail it together. Before all, and the father has built a chair, and then the son who's learning the trade has built a chair. Some have tried to explain it with that analogy, <clears throat> which in a sense is true, but that analogy breaks down really poorly here, because Jesus and God are equal. We have Bruce Ware here a few weeks ago talking to us about the Trinity on this. The Son and the Father are so unified here. Jesus is not just imitating the Father. Jesus has the same nature as the Father, and so he's doing the same thing as the Father because they have the exact same nature. So how do we understand he's doing what he sees his Father doing? <clears throat> this is God the Father and God the Son working together, doing the same deeds in exactly the same way. This is God the Father and God the Son working together doing the same deeds in exactly the same way. For this is that mystery that we were trying to explore a few weeks ago when Bruce Ware was here about the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son are completely equal in nature. It's just one God. He shows himself as Father, Son, and Spirit, but there's a submission and role here. The Son is equal with the Father, has the same nature, so he can do whatever the Father does, but he submits to what the Father wants done, but he doesn't do it begrudgingly. It's all in a relationship of love. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. There's a sense here, in, in fact, when it says the father loves the son, it's a continuous tense. The father loves and always loves. The father loves and keeps on loving the son. The son is doing what he's doing out of the love of the father for him. He gladly does whatever the father wants him to do. And what is it that they're doing? What is the works that they're working together, doing the same deeds in the same way, because they're the same nature in this? Verse 20 tells us, For the father loves the son and shows him a few of the things that he is doing... What does it say there? All the things that he is doing. Think about that. That is stunning. Everything that God does, that God the Father does, he shows to Jesus. What does God the Father do? Well, how much time do we have? He creates the world. He sustains the world. He upholds the universe. He keeps stars burning across the galaxy, millions of them. He knows them by name. He calls them out by name. He knows all of us by name. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. I mean, On and on it goes. Everything that God the Father does, He shows to Jesus. Jesus is fully God and knows everything God the Father is doing. We call this God's providence. God's rule over all things. His sustaining of the world. His keeping of the world. Everything. Keeping your heart beating. My heart beating. Sustaining us in everything we do. Jesus sees it all because the Father shows it all out of love for the Son. But He says here in verse 20, towards the end of it, "...and greater works than these..." Will he show him so that you may marvel? Greater works than what? The these is referring back to the healing of the man just before that, so in, that in the pools around near the temple. So the, what is the greater works that are to come? Something bigger than the healing of this guy on the sap is going to cause the Jewish leaders to marvel. And what will those be? Well, if you look ahead in John, the feeding of the 5,000 is coming. So that's going to be even a bigger work. You're going to have the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That's going to be a bigger work. But the greatest work that's coming is Jesus himself dying. Being crucified and being coming back to life, being resurrected on the third day. Well, We just celebrated Easter. That's the greatest work, and that is still to come. If they are marveling and wondering about what's just happened, they, they haven't seen nothing yet, basically. There's a lot more still to come. But in light of that, with that as a foundation, there's two specific works here that God the Father has given to God the Son, to Jesus, to do. That Jesus has the authority from the Father to do two specific works here, and that's our focus this morning. The first one of those, I said, was to impart life that God the Son has the authority of the Father to impart life. Look back at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. Now, remember the audience here is the Jewish leaders. To say the Father gives life is not controversial. They get that. They believe that. But where it gets controversial is Jesus is claiming the same authority. He's claiming to do something only God can do that is impart life as a creator here. He's basically claiming to be God again. He and the Father are working together, doing the same deeds in the same way. But it gets even stronger here in what he's saying in his in his claim to divinity, to being God here. Notice in verse twenty one: For as the Father raises dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to those who give a lot of money to the church, to those who earn God's favor by getting really involved and being a Bible study teacher this summer. No, he gives life. That last phrase there: to whom he will. Who, the Father has entrusted him, Jesus, to decide to whom he will entrust a life. He is sovereign. This is part of the work of the Father and the Son doing what they do. In this, no one can coerce Jesus. No one can command Jesus. We can't do enough good stuff to make him favorable to us for him to want to save us. We cannot coerce Jesus. He imparts life at the authority of the Father to whomever he wills. Now, how does he impart such a life? Well, we see in the next verses that follow, starting in verse 24... <clears throat> Verse 24, truly, truly, again, take notice, this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. How does the Son impart life? His word. His word is how he imparts life. His spoken word then, when people heard his word, when he speaks to the man who's laying by the pool, who's lame, and says, stand up and walk, the power of his word, the man stands up. When Lazarus is dead in the tomb, he says, Lazarus, come forth. His word's powerful. It comes forth. the same word that created the world and created the universe and everything that we know that came into existence came by the power of his word. And he imparts life to people, spiritual life to people, through the power of his word. At the time they could hear his word spoken, today we have it in written form. And it's just as powerful today as it was then. It imparts life just as much now in, as we read his written word as it was when it was spoken, when he first spoke it. But it has to be heard. It has to be believed. The word has to be heard and believed for it to impart life. In case we missed that, verse 25 repeats that. And again, Jesus is getting their attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live now when we hear this easy to think of future judgment but he says the hour is here that means it's now it's already happening and what is happening the spiritually dead are hearing and they are gaining life they're gaining eternal life verse 25 says they will live and in case we missed it back in verse 24 he repeats the same idea which says whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life now i mentioned this before but this is significant so don't miss this Too often, as followers of Christ, we think of eternal life as heaven in the future only. Like, I don't want to go to hell, so if I just follow Jesus, I'll have eternal life. He doesn't say you will have eternal life. He says what you has. Right now, in this moment, you already have, you already possess it. He has eternal life as present tense for now. Friends, what Jesus is offering in spiritual life is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. He's offering you eternal life... Right now, today, wherever you are, it is abundant life that comes from God. It is being passed from death to life now, so that we have God's presence in our life, so that we have the Holy Spirit in our life now, so we have God's peace now, God's hope in us now. And so eternal life begins now, and yes, it does have future implications. Back in verse 24, "...truly, truly, I say to you: whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, possesses right now eternal life, he does not come into judgment." but it's passed from death to life. The person who experiences eternal life now does not have to fear the future judgment of God. The person who's experiencing God's presence now does not have to worry about that. To have eternal life now is to be secure, not only now, but to be secure forever. And Jesus has the authority to impart this as he wills because God the Father has given it to him. There's a second thing that God the Father has imparted to Jesus to have the authority to do. And it's not one that we like to think about as much, but that is to judge. God the Father has given Jesus, God the Son, the authority to either impart life or also to judge. Look at verse 22. Jump back up there. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. To the Jews, this was totally unexpected. They had no concept of the Messiah being the one who would have the right to judge. They thought that was a role only of the Father. But they, Jesus is very clear. He himself is the one who will judge? Well, perhaps a question's coming up in your mind. John three seventeen that we looked at some weeks ago, Jesus said, I did not come in the world to some translations say judge the world, some say to condemn the world. So wait, what is it? How does he say he didn't come to condemn, but now he's saying he's been given the authority to judge? Well, if you're thinking that, that's a great question. There's actually two different words that are used here for this. In John three seventeen, when he says he did not come to condemn the world. Again, if your translation translated judge, that's kind of a little bit of a Not as quite as accurate. Condemn is the right word there. He did not come to condemn the world. He came to bring us eternal life, to make that available for us. But here, when we get to verse 22 of John 5, where the Father judges no one, has given all judgment to the Son, this is a totally different word. It's not the word for condemnation. Here, judgment is evaluation, making a distinction. A separation is occurring here, a differentiation. Basically, what is Jesus given the right to differentiate? Those who've received eternal life and those who've not. Those who've been changed by the word and those who have not. He has the right to decide upon that. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, and he has given him authority. So this is again, God the Father given him, God the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Basically, what we're seeing here is because Jesus is the son of man, the prophesied one from Daniel, that he has the authority, the right to decide at the end of the age, who is the ones who believe and who hasn't, who has followed him and who hasn't. He has been able to make this differentiation. Think back to John 4 as we were working through John 4, and you saw that people said they believed in Jesus, but basically my translation of that verse was Jesus did not believe their believing because he knows the heart of a man. Jesus is the one who's been given the authority to look inside the heart of each man and to know, to differentiate, is this person really believing or not? He's not looking at whether someone, walked and all joined the church, did good moral things, gave a lot of money to the church. He's looking at the heart. And, he's a, and he is the one who's been given the authority by God the Father to peer into your heart and mine and to differentiate here, to judge how are we following him or not. Think of it almost as two sides of one coin. Jesus came to give eternal life by his word. But those who don't receive his word, the flip side of that will, they means they will have to face his judgment. Either people believe Jesus is a light, or they do not believe he is the light. God has given him the, given Jesus the authority to impart life and to judge. Now friends, this is not just a theoretical principle or a theological principle. This applies very much so to you and to me as well. I think too often across American Christianity, we see Jesus as some very passive, pale guy who just wants to make everyone happy and is kind and peaceful. But what we see here is is the one who has ultimate authority over all things. This is Jesus as God, with a full authority, God to do as he pleases, as he wills. He is not at our command. He has the authority, the right to either give us a life or to judge us and send us to hell. That is in his hands on this. So that leads us to our second point out of this particular text. Each of us will receive from Jesus... Either life or judgment. Every single one of us will receive from Jesus either life or judgment. There is no middle ground. There's no other option. Already every one of us today is either experiencing eternal life now or we're already experiencing judgment from God. One of the two. There is no standing still in this. Go back to verses 24 and 25. We already looked at to see this again. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Friends, in these first five chapters you have been hearing the Word of God. If you've been here, you've been hearing the Word of God in this. And so the issue for us here when we talk about hearing and believing in this, when you see verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes. And in verse 25 where you see whoever hears the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live is not just simply listening. The idea of hearing is hearing and believing. Hearing and accepting the message and the one who gave the message. And so if you are here hearing the message and believing it and receiving it, that is what it's talking about here. That means there's only two categories of people. Those who have heard the message of Jesus and believed because they've heard it. And those either who have not heard or those who have heard and rejected, those are in the same camp there. There's only two groups of people. Those who've heard and believed, who now have eternal life and are not under the judgment of God anymore, or those who do not believe and are dead spiritually, and as we saw earlier in John, stand condemned already. So though that's present tense, there is a future aspect of that as well that we need to mention here. Verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. So that's future tense, an hour is still to come, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment friends this is a different hour the hour that is now is the availability of eternal life for those who hear and believe what jesus is saying this is the future hour the bodily resurrection the end of the age a future judgment from jesus and friends it's not an arbitrary judgment in the future it's not Jesus going i like you i don't like you i like you i don't like you This is a judgment based on whether or not people have heard and believed the word that is put before them here. Now, before we go astray in this, verse 29, those who've done good and those who've done evil, this is not teaching that we gain salvation or approval by our works. You've heard me say many times before, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And when we look at what Scripture is teaching, that's not what it's telling us. Believing comes only by faith in Christ. That's where our salvation comes from. But what's important for us is good works are an evidence of our faith. And so what Jesus is looking at here, is the life been changed or not? And the judgment, has, is our life different because we believe? Remember John 3? When we worked through John 3. We said that believing in Jesus is receiving a radical transformation from above. Believing in Jesus is not, I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, I got wet, I'm in the kingdom, I'm okay... Believing in Jesus is, He has changed me. I am different now. My heart is different. I long for different things in this. I am born again. I have a new nature. I have a nature that longs for God. And there will be fruit. There will be evidence. There will be something different. Friends, if there is nothing different in our life, then we really do not know Jesus. And this thought of verses 28 29 should strike fear in our hearts at the end of the age if there is no good coming out of our life, eternal good, because we've never been transformed on this. Friends, if we have not believed, if we have not heard and accepted and believed then we are dead in our sins. We have no hope. We're slaves to our sins. We have an old nature that longs to exalt self and loves the darkness. So what does John 5 point us to here? That Jesus is God. He's making it very clear to the Jewish leaders and to us. And because he's God and because God the Father has given him authority, Jesus has the right to give life or to pass on judgment. We will all experience now and in the future one of those. So the question for us is where are we? Where are you? Where am I? Friends, if you do not have confidence that you are sitting under the mercy of God and are already experiencing today eternal life, why would you remain in a state of lostness on that? Jesus invites you to repent and believe, to believe he is God, to believe that the Father sent him, to believe what he came to do. But for most of you in this room, as I've gotten to know you, who really do believe in Jesus, believing and hearing who he says to be and it changing you, you have to ask the question as well in this, Is eternal life for you something only future tense for when you die one day? Or is it something that is true for you now? Is eternal life something that you can say with confidence? You're experiencing eternal life right now today. No matter what happened in the last week with sickness, with challenges, with struggles, with trials, can you say with confidence in the midst of all that happened this last week, you still had eternal life because eternal life is a present tense reality for those who are children of God are you experiencing eternal life today all the while still having the absolute assurance but that because you have eternal life today you know you have it for all eternity and with that said are you seeing the Word of Jesus change you the same word that breathed life into your soul and took you from death to life is that same word changing you today where you're at are you sitting under the Word of God and letting it change you and transform you as their fruit or their good works coming as a result of it? Friends, God the Father has given Jesus the authority to impart life and to judge. The authority to do that to me, and the authority to do that to you as well. With that in view, I want to close with just reading to you from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3. It says this, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And listen to Isaiah 55 3 again, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that your word would come alive to us, that we would understand in new and deeper ways, Lord Jesus, who you are. And as we study this, as we think about it, not just today, but in the week to come, would you give us life in your name? May you give us all in this room genuine saving faith that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, have life in his name. Father, I know just from talking to people this week throughout this body, the burdens are heavy for so many in this room the weight of living in a cursed and fallen world is very heavy and very real for many who are sitting here today. But God, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of the waiters waiters living in a cursed and fallen world, God, I pray this day for those in this room who are in Christ that you would fill their hearts with the hope of eternal life right now. God, not just hope of the future, but hope now of your presence now, your hope now, your peace now, in the midst of whatever they are going through. And Father, would you let us see what difference that makes? God, forgive us for only seeing our salvation as something to get us to heaven and away from hell. Would you let our salvation in Christ be so real to me and to these precious brothers and sisters this week? And Father, all week long, all we can think about is you and your greatness and your glory that we want to honor you for who you are and that we want to experience your presence. God, would you stir our hearts? Would you give us grace upon grace that your waves of grace might crash over us, that we might this week not only see our salvation as just we want to go to heaven one day out there, but that we want to know you and walk with you right here, right now. Father, we cannot manufacture that. That's something only you can do as you send your spirit into our lives. We do that in my heart. We do that in these brothers and sisters' heart this week. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for whatever you choose to do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?